Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. You get a decent night's sleep last night. Do you remember the dreams that you had last night? We all do this, but there is something really intimate about dreaming. Can feel like a weird art film that's made just for you, by you. And that's why the weirdness and the intimacy of it, but the fact that it is a universal experience, why scientists, philosophers, artists all grapple with understanding dreams. There's new research from the University of Toronto that is looking at cultural differences in dreaming. Jeffrey Sines is a coordinator and co-author of that story and study, and he's with us now. Jeffrey, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Good to be with you. Good to have you here. Um, I have a lot of questions about dreams and dreaming. But what was the question that you set out to answer with this work? Yeah, what a great first question. Well, I'm fresh off the um, uh, short to short sleep um, with many dreams uh, <laughs> that continue to puzzle me and, and why why they surfaced. And this is something that happens on a nightly basis, uh, as I'm sure it happens for many others. And so trying to find an explanation for why these mysterious things happen to us every night is probably what set me on the course for conducting this research. And you're looking specifically at how, I mean, we all dream, but we're dreaming different things, right? And that there could be cultural influences in, in what it is that we dream. That's absolutely right. And that's the basis for this research. I was the fortunate recipient of uh, a really unique data set um, conducted by uh, Dr. David Sampson at the University of Toronto, um, which uh, collected the dream reports of forager, hunter-gatherer communities in Tanzania and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we compared these dream reports with those um, of dreamers from um, Western societies. Uh, and, you know, many interesting things resulted from that uh, original data set. What did you want to do in comparing that? Why did you want to compare those those two different, very different cultures? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, hypothesized that uh, society and societal cultural influences um, would impact um, the dreams that one was having. And so we would, um, in having this unique data set from forager hunter-gatherer societies um, in Africa, we would be given this unique set um, wherein there'd be certain dreamers that were experiencing cultural influences in these communities that would be quite distinct from those of Western dreamers. And so if when looking at the dream reports, uh, we would see major differences between what was being reported in dreams, then that would support the hypothesis that culture and uh, cultural influences are impacting the way we dream. So what did you see? What were the differences that you found between the content of the dreams in those communities in the DRC in Tanzania and those in Western societies? And that's when things get really interesting. So the, uh, the dream reports did um, support the hypothesis that cultural influences are having an impact. And so what we saw in forager hunter-gatherer societies was that um, their cultural influences being quite different from ours, social cohes cohesion is something that manifests in face-to-face -face interaction 
whereas um, Western societies have outsourced social cohesion to the law, government, social policy, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's it's certainly different. Um, and so what we saw in dream reports from uh, these forger societies um, in Africa is that their dreams may start off with high levels of anxiety, threat producing, uh, simulations, falling into a well, being chased by an animal, for instance. Um, but it would be resolved um, with the support of a fellow um, community member, whereas Western dreamers seem to uh, be dreaming in ways that would produce uh, threatening situations or uh, typically anxiety provoking situations. Um, but no one was coming to their rescue <laughs> in their dreams where the the forger communities there there were there was a fellow community member coming to their support. What does that tell you? Yeah, and then that's that's the final that really is the final question. Um, if dreams in a way are a mirror um, back to us showing the way our society works, um, perhaps we have something to learn from the face to face form of social cohesion that these forger communities have kept in their culture um, that perhaps we are undervaluing in ours. What is that? Tell me more about that just finally. I mean, and what that tells you about the ties between dreaming and, I mean, these are foraging hunter-gatherer communities um, that are different than Western communities when it comes to an evolutionary track. So what does that tell you about the difference and, and the ties between dreaming and evolution? Yeah, exactly. So um, we've been fascinated with dreams academically and, and socially for many years. So many, many listeners will be familiar with Freud and Jung, uh, Carl Jung, uh, and uh, the different theories that they've developed on why we dream. Uh, and so the evolutionary roots of dreaming go um, back many hundreds of, of years, thousands of years, Um and uh, we need an explanation for why dreams occur. Uh, one hypothesis is that uh, we dream as a way of simulating threatening uh, situations in waking life. And then when we dream, we, as I said, simulate these experiences as a way to bring attention to them so that we can be better prepared for when they occur in waking life. And so that's that's one of these explanations. Now, what's fascinating about this research mm. is that um, while these threatening situations occur uh, in the dream for both Western Westerner and hunter forager groups, uh, there's this interesting um, addition in the forager groups, namely that of um, of being rescued or supported by a fellow familiar community member. And so it's not just about simulating threatening situations, but um, the resolution might be built into the dream as well. This is so interesting. We're going to talk more about the significance broadly of this and some other things that we don't know about dreaming. But in the meantime, Jeffrey, thanks for telling us about your research. Thank you, Matt. Take care. Jeffrey Sines is with the Department of Philosophy at the University of Toronto, co-author of this new research paper published in Nature Scientific Reports about cultural reference points in what we dream. My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now.
Deirdre Barrett has been studying dreaming for decades. She's a researcher and lecturer at Harvard University, president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. Deirdre, good morning to you. Hi. What do you make of this University of Toronto study looking at, I mean, there's the evolutionary part of it, but, but it's also just about the cultural roots in terms of what we dream and how the societies that we're in really do shape the kind of dreams that we have. Yes, definitely. I mean, what, what's the most exciting about this study is how different the culture is from most databases we've been gathering. There's some older anthropology studies of smaller numbers with a lot of different hunter-gatherer tribes, but within recent uh, times, the the big cultural comparisons are more things like one Western culture with one Asian culture. You know, they're they're all sort of modernized, uh, and and one finds some differences even there. But but a still practicing as a hunter gatherer tribe is a is a distinctive, unique group to to have the current dreams of. It's interesting. Jeffrey said that in both of those data sets in both of those cultures that he's drawing from, that anxiety was part of the dream. Is that a universal theme? I ask this partially from my own experience, but is that a universal theme in terms of what we're all dreaming about? Um, well, as a sort of an average, dreams, when you rate the emotions in dreams, they come out slightly the negative side of average. So there does tend to be a bit more anxiety than happiness and and positive emotions. Although in most studies, the typical dream is really pretty close to neutral. I mean, when you collect not just the dreams that somebody kind of chooses to tell you as their interesting dreams, mm-hmm. but when you have people keeping dream journals every night, and even more so when you wake people up from every rapid eye movement sleep period, you get an awful lot of kind of tedious, mundane, you know, I'm I'm at my office, I'm trying to do something on a piece of paper and I don't quite understand it, or walking down a street looking for something and maybe I don't quite know where I'm going, but there's nothing bad chasing me. Lots and lots of kind of mundane routine. So so there's not huge dramatic emotion in in the typical dream. But but over a big set there there seems to be more anxiety than happiness for for the average person Which and their leads, individual differences. It leads to the stories. I mean, and we all have these dreams. If you're in front of the classroom and you know you've forgotten to do all the studying, you have an exam, um, you're standing in front of a room full of people and it turns out that you forgot to put your pants on or what have you. Those are the things that that, that leap out to people, but as you're saying, maybe they are they're the atypical dreams that people are having. Yeah, we re- we remember our you know really bad nightmarish dreams longer than we do bland dreams, and we remember m- many people have some really euphoric peak experience. You know, they see something beautiful, something wonderful happens in a dream. They remember those longer than they do the mm. very bland ones. I could talk to you about this for hours, but there's a couple of specific questions I want to ask you about dreams. One is, how does what happens in our waking life influence the things that we dream about? Sometimes things will appear in our dreams that in in our waking life we we experience for just a snapshot, just a second, and it turns out to kind of play a role in our dreams. Do we know what's going on there? Um, well, there, there, there used to be some theories um, 
Jung and and others said that dreams were kind of the reciprocal of what was going on in our waking life, that whatever we weren't manifesting by day would come out. But that, that really proves not to be the case, and something that was generally called the continuity hypothesis has proved to be true, that, that what we're paying the most attention to by day is the likeliest to be what we're dreaming about by night. Um, so certainly some, something that got a lot of attention by day may not show up in the dream right. and, and vice versa. But in general, our dreams are usually about the same thoughts and concerns that we have by day. And also they can range over, you know, our whole lifespan to some extent, but they're likelier to be about what happened that particular day and even more so whatever we fell asleep thinking about. There's a recency effect to, to them. Do we know why they defy all sorts of narrative logic? Why something can be, you can be in one place and then in the next moment you're in a completely different space, but you're, the dream continues as though that narrative logic makes perfect sense? Uh, yes, our brain is in a very different state in rapid eye movement sleep when most dreams are occurring. And our, our secondary visual cortex that generates imagery is even more active than it is by day. So that's why, that's why almost all dreams have some visual content to them. Um, our motor cortex is pretty active, so there's often a lot of movement. Uh, but our speech areas are damped down. They're not completely shut off, but they're less active than by day. And then the areas associated with reasoning and logic and reality testing are way damped down. So that's why both fantastic things can happen, but we usually don't question them. Once in a while you have a dream where there's a, you know, giant or fantastic being and we go, wait a minute, how can that be? But most of the time we'll just accept whatever, you know, thing would just stop us in our tracks with us saying that's impossible by day can happen in a dream. That has very much to do with which brain areas are ramped up in their activity or damped down in their activity compared to waking. Paul McCartney famously said that he came up with the melody for yesterday in a dream. What's happening while we're dreaming that, that would allow us to solve wicked problems that we haven't been able to solve when we're awake? Um, we, because of the, of the different activities of different areas, um, although people, people have solved any problem that a person focuses on all the time by day may turn up in their dream and might get a solution. Like when I was doing my book, The Committee of Sleep, I collected dramatic problem-solving dreams. And I got some from mathematicians and, and like McCartney, some from musicians, but they actually tended to cluster around the things that are the most common in everyone's dreams, which are vivid visual images and kind of unusual modes of thought. So dreams tend to solve problems best when either visualizing something is, is the track toward the solution. Like one of the other famous examples is Kekulé and the benzene ring where yeah. all known molecules were some kind of straight line with side chain and he saw in a dream that benzene was, was a closed ring. 
Um, that sort of problem is more often solved in dreams. And also his illustrates the other thing that's best solved in dreams, which is when you're stuck on it by day because the conventional wisdom is wrong. He's trying to approach it as, as you know, he knows what the atoms are. He's trying to put them together in this known straight line sort of form, and it's not working. And any other chemist would have been approaching it as what straight line can we put them in, whereas it was a closed ring. And because because of the loosening of our usual logic and censorship, dreams can think outside the box easier. So, so they can make breakthroughs in anything because we're still thinking about all of our usual concerns. But the brain is really primed to make visual ones and to make ones that rely on thinking outside the box. Okay, so we're out of time, but I have to ask you about this very quickly because it's fascinating. You've done work on this technique called dream incubation. What is this? Um, that is trying to enhance the effect that dreams already do of zeroing in on what we're most interested in and especially what we're thinking about at bedtime. So if you tell yourself you want to dream about a topic, a person, or a solution to a particular problem, if you tell yourself that verbally as you're falling asleep and you picture something associated with the topic you want to dream on, because dreams are so visual that imagery requests get in easier, uh, that greatly increases the odds that you'll have a dream about that particular topic. And if it's a problem, maybe even solve it. Does it work? In a study I did with college students doing that for a week at bedtime, and they were they were working on a problem yeah. that was a real life homework or something from their real life that they had to solve. In in that study, fifty percent of them dreamed about the topic in the course of a week, and about twenty five percent dreamed a solution to it. And as the those were solvable problems in their real life. As the problems get harder, that 25% tends to drop lower in other studies. But the mm. 50% dreaming on a topic in the course of a week is, is a pretty standard outcome. Before I let you go... So it doesn't work all the time. Well, it doesn't work all the time. A lot better than if you weren't doing it. We're just about out of time. What's the one thing that you still want to learn about dreams? Um... I'd like to know more about animal dreams. Uh, there's there's some research in Japan where they're visualizing, they're reading off the visual cortex and getting crude images of what we're dreaming while we're dreaming. I'd like to see that in more detail from people, but I think it would be fascinating to do that with animals. That is so interesting. And I say this is the person who sat beside his dog, who's twitching away on the couch, and you wonder oh, yeah. what's um, running through know, the dog's mind. I sleep. <laughs> They're obviously dreaming about something, and probably the continuity hypothesis holds that whatever they think about most by day, their owners chasing their balls, those things are probably turning up in their dreams. Deirdre, great to talk to you about this. Thank you very much. Okay, nice to talk to you. Deirdre Barrett is a dream researcher, lecturer at Harvard University. Her 2010 book is The Committee of Sleep, How Artists, Scientists, and Athletes Use Their Dreams for Creative Problem Solving and How You Can Too. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.